Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message from Pastor Tyler Hankey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a new semester. We're jumping into the fall. I'm getting excited. I got a number of different series that are kind of brewing in my mind, but the first one that I felt like we all needed to engage with was a series about the local church. And so I'm titling this, What Even Is This? Because the church can be confusing. Trying to define it can be confusing. As, as I started to think about it, I, I can tell you, and I think all of you can tell me your experience with the local church. You can tell me what you like about your church experience. You could go into a new church and say, I like the worship, I don't like the worship. You know, I, I want a bold, articulate preacher, and this guy clearly isn't it. Or you walk in and you're like, man, this guy was really exciting, whatever it was. And you can tell me all the things you like about the church. But if I asked you, can you tell me what the church is? I think a lot of people would struggle. If I asked you to define for me what a healthy church was and what was included in a healthy church, again, you might kind of get a few of the options, but could you tell me, could you tell someone else, what is the local church? Define for me what the church is, more specifically, define for me what a healthy church is. And if you can't do that, my argument in this series is that if you can't define for me what the church is, you're never going to be able to tell me what a good one is or if you're actually attending a good one. And so for the lion's share of you, you, you come into this ministry from various states or other cities. We, we're a university city. We've got four of them in our neighborhood. Within 20 minutes of this church, there's four different universities. And so there's a lot of traveling that happens in this ministry and so I know just every single year, I'm going to get a bunch of people that come into relationship with this church, but then you're going to leave and you're going to, you're going to graduate. You're going to go to other cities, other states, other nations. So do you have the ability to go to these new areas and say, here's the healthy church. I'm going to go to this one, or here's an unhealthy church. I'm going to stay away from that one. Why is it important to understand what the church is? Because if you don't know what the church is, you're going to never know if you're at a good one. And there is so much included for you in the local church, so much blessing to be received, so much incredible work to be done by you and by others for you in the local church. See, on a purely relational level, you need to know if a church is healthy. Because let, let's get serious. I don't want the church to be this place where people come in and and, and it's only for dating. I never want the young adult group to be that. However, unapologetically, I would love it if you found your spouse at the local church. I mean, where, where else do you want to find a spouse? But here's the thing, ladies. If you don't know what a healthy church is, then you're never going to know if you can trust the men that you find at the local church. If you don't know that the leadership of the church is healthy, then you're never going to know if you found a guy who is submitting to local church leadership. And I'll tell you right now, if a, if a young man doesn't know how to be led, then he doesn't know how to lead. If a young man doesn't know how to follow, he's never going to know how to help you follow. He's never going to know how to lead you. So as a young woman, if you don't know how to find a local church that's safe and healthy, then I'm telling you, you're going to have a difficult time dating. And, and same thing in the reverse. Gentlemen, if you don't know how to find a healthy local church, you're not going to know once you find a woman if she is submitting to healthy leadership, does she know how to engage with the word? Is the word even being taught at the church you're going to? 
You need to ask these kinds of questions. It's also important for your spiritual safety. I could tell you story after story of individuals that went into local churches, but because they never knew what to look for in a healthy leader, they, they had no idea what a healthy senior pastor even was. They had no idea what church leadership looked like, what church government looked like, what church membership looked like. I have some incredibly close friends and I went to visit them. Um, they're, they're in another state. I love them to death. They're good people. But they had never, up to this point in their life, done some research on what the church was and what leadership was. And so I sat down and we were catching up and I was like, tell me about your church. And they started telling me, but they weren't excited about it. As they revealed story after story, they knew intuitively something was wrong, but they couldn't put their finger on it. And so I just flat out told him, I was like, guys, your senior pastor's not a healthy man. He's a bully. He's not spiritually healthy and he's leading you in an unhealthy direction. And over a number of days, they came to this realization, we need to leave. We need to leave our church and go find a healthy one. And so what was sad is they did what you're about to do. They did a study on the local church. So my prayer is that you would receive this series when you're in a place that's decently healthy. Now, if you're listening to this online and you're not even sure if you go to a healthy church, my prayer for you is that you would discover that quickly so that we can minimize the pain that you go through. But if you are in a healthy place and yet one day you might move, my prayer is that you would learn enough now so that you can avoid pain later. Lastly, here's what I wanna say just in, in regard to the importance of the local church. I can't tell you how many times I've run into someone that says, I love God, but I don't go to church. I've got people in my extended family that are like, I love God, I just don't enjoy the local church. I had a bad experience. And, and look, in my healthier times, I can deal with that. I'll walk into conversation gently. But in the times where I'm just frustrated, I'll be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of hearing that sentence. I love God, but I just don't care about the local church. Look, here's what I know about you if you say that. I know either option one, you are a believer, but you are unbelievably unhealthy and you're not reading the word, or two, you're not a believer at all. Because here's my more strong convicting argument at the beginning. If you say you love God, but you don't love the church, you don't understand anything about the heart of God. It also, again, tells me you are not reading the word because the Bible displays the church as a bride. It makes this unbelievable connection between God and the church. And I liken it to this. It is like my marriage. This is what Ephesians 5 says. The pursuit of God to his people is like a husband to a bride. And so you would never say to me, Tyler, I think you're cool, but I think your wife is dumb. Or Tyler, I like you, but you and or, but my, your, your wife and I had a really difficult conversation and I got so mad, now I just dismiss her completely. Here's the thing, guys, and you know this as people, you can never say to a man, I think you're cool, but your wife is dumb. Because any self-respecting man would say, look, if you don't like my wife, you don't like me. My wife and I are a unit. We are one. And the connection God has to his church is like marriage. So I want to say to you right now, if you've been living your life and you're like, I love God, I'm reading the word, 
but I don't really go to church. I would say to you, you have a massive problem. So what we're gonna do for the next few minutes is go over the connection of God to the church. Now, just to kind of, you know, excite your, your mind, here's where we're going to go in the series, and then I'll jump back into this one. Today, we're just going to kind of ask, you know, why the church, God? What, what is your connection to it? But next week, what is the design of leadership in the church? How did God organize it, and what was his intention from the beginning? And that'll go for a couple weeks, but then after that, week four is going to be, how does the church function? What was it intended to do? If we can define what it is and who leads it and how it was organized, what does it then go do? And then we're going to go over metaphors that God gives the church. He's like, the church is like this. It's like this. And there's a number of different ways God describes it so that we can know how to behave. And then finally, I want to go over your specific gifting. Because whether you know it or not, the second that you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, he imbued you with power specific power, specific gifting. We call this commonly spiritual gifts. And it's the ways that God enhanced you, the ways that he upgraded you. The second that you became a believer, he goes, I'm going to evolve you in certain areas. So all of you listening, you are gifted specifically in ways that I am not. And I'm gifted in ways that you are not so that the church would advance. You are not gifted in areas so that you can brag. You're not gifted in areas so that you can excel in certain areas and others don't. That's not what it is. It's so that the church would excel in certain areas. And so we're going to go over all of that in the series, again, titled, What Even Is This? We're going to take a deep look at the church. And so that was an extremely long introduction to say, what is God's connection now to the church? This is week one. And so I want to go over four things, four different ways that God is connected to this organization, to this organism, really. Because we need to ask the question, you know, like if, if you are to look at my connection to other women, it's loosely connected. But if you look at my connection to my wife, there is a deep connection, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, physically, I'm connected to this woman. And so you know, by the way that I interact with Audrey, by the nature of our relationship, you, you understand, you expect certain things out of me. I'm gonna treat her different than I treat other women. And so when you look at how God relates to people, he relates differently to the church than he does other groups of people. And he reveals this very clearly in scripture. So here's the first way that he's connected. Through Jesus, he dies for the church. This is Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Paul says this, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that, that is, died for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or blemish, but holy and blameless. So here's what I love right at the beginning. God doesn't tell you really anything about the church. You don't know how it functions. You don't know about its leadership. You don't know about its destiny. All you know in this text is that he died for it. But here's the thing, friends. That's enough. That's all you need to know. Now, yes, we're going to go over the other things, but all I need to know 
to understand the heart of God in this instance towards the church is that he thought enough of it. He loved it so much that he died for it. And that automatically tells you the valuation of the church. See, I've bought in a number of different homes in my life, and when you go buy a home, you put an offer down, yes, but then you send a very educated individual into that home, and you say, estimate the value of this home so I know if I just paid the right amount for it or not. And so this, this man or woman walks in, and they test everything. They measure everything. They, they measure the mold in the air. They look at all the air ducts. They look at the electrical work, the plumbing, the shingles on the roof, everything, and they give you the valuation. And they say, your home is worth this. And so God looked at the church, and we would ask ourselves, how much is this worth, God? And he says, the life of my son. That is what the church is worth to me. His death doesn't tell you how the church functions but it tells you exactly what the church is worth. And if you let it, this will completely change your mindset. This will let you know how you need to treat the church. And so I, I liken it to this, this kind of made up story. Imagine with me for a second, if you were going to school and you knew at the beginning that you couldn't afford it and your parents knew, they're like, man, our, our son or our daughter is gifted. They're, they're gonna bless the world with their gifting, but I know that they can't afford school. So your dad decides he's gonna go pick out a second job. And this deeply blesses you because you can't afford school at all, but you know that you wanna go. You know that you're called to this. You wanna be a doctor to change the world. And so your father picks up a second job at a factory and he's working nights every single day for years, but he makes it about to your junior year and you discover that the factory that he worked at wasn't safe and he develops cancer directly related to his job. You know this. And he dies. And through the settlement in, in, the, in the court case, the company that he worked for says, man, we're really sorry that your dad died. Here's a chunk of money for the valuation of his life. But then you decide at the very end, it's your senior year, and for whatever reason, because you just develop a horrible selfishness, you take the money and you spend it on yourself and you use it up. You don't even finish your degree. You don't go to med school. You do nothing. You just go spend it on alcohol, drugs, and cheap thrills. What have you just done? You have told the one that died, I don't care. I don't care about what you did. And so friends, I know that this is fairly dramatic, but imagine this with me. Je Jesus comes to earth and lives a perfect life and he dies. He dies giving the church a huge valuation. But then you say to your king, you say to your heavenly father, I don't care. You can say like, man, thanks for saving me. Thanks for doing all the work. Thank you for creating the church by your death. I just don't care. I'm just not gonna go to it because I had a bad experience. Why would we ever say to our Heavenly Father, you didn't do enough? Your, the, your death, or your, your son's death isn't enough for me. You see, when I look at the church and I behave apathetically, when I give up on it, when I don't serve it, when I don't give my everything for it, what I'm saying by my action is the death of Jesus wasn't enough. It doesn't matter. And so maybe you're living in your life right now in this funk and you're just like, man, I... I haven't been praying lately. I haven't been reading the word lately. I haven't been to church in months. I would gently try to tell you, look, I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying, by your actions, you are saying 
that the death of Jesus has no value because you just don't care about the thing that he died for. So again, what's the first part of the connection? He died releasing to you the value of the church. It is worth the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus. Here's the second connection that God makes with the church. He intentionally plants it. And so let's, let's ask the question. Did human beings gather together as Jesus followers and then just say like, hey, let's create an organization called the church? No, we didn't do that. God did. God organized us, called us together, and by the death of his son, yes, created the church, but then he intentionally launches it. Let's read together in Matthew 16, 18. It says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's the second verse, and then I'll come back to this first one. This is Hebrews 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Verse 3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Verse six, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house and we are his house. You see, if human beings gathered together and the church was, a, was man's idea, you could easily argue that it shouldn't exist or that it's fallen, that it's broken, that we should do away with it. But if the church was God's idea, then yes, the church can falter because, it's, it, because human beings tried to lead it. However, if it's God's idea, then no matter what, it's gonna move forward because in its inception, in its creation, it was perfect because it came from the mind of God. You see, Jesus was talking with Peter, originally named Simon, and he comes to him and he says, who do people say that I am? This is going back to Matthew 16, 18. And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of God. And, he, and Jesus says in that moment, you are correct. Human beings did not reveal this to you, but the spirit of God revealed this to you. And then it says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, I don't mean to pick on our Catholic brothers and sisters, but they make a huge mistake here. And they think that when Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church, they think that's actually referring to Peter. And so they label Peter the first pope, and they say that it was on Peter that God built the church. And that is so false, it's not even funny. God did not build the church on Peter. He built it on Jesus. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We are built as living stones placed together on the cornerstone to become the church. The body of Jesus, and Jesus is our head. Do you want to know what the rock is? The rock is Christ. Jesus says, on the idea of the resurrected Savior, the church will be built. Not on a human. No human that's ever lived apart from Jesus is able to hold the weight of the church. Peter would have failed. He failed all the time. Peter's not the first pope. He's not the rock of the church. Jesus is. Now, what do you learn from this, individual? If the church was created by God and Jesus specifically says the gates of hell will not overcome this, then you understand something about the momentum of the church. It's like the juggernaut. This thing is moving and nothing's gonna stop it. Nothing can stop it. 
of all the organizations on planet Earth, many have started and then ended. In fact, all have started in some way and ended in some way, except the church. The only organization that has begun and will continue to move until it has satisfied its mission is the church. It's the only one. God has said humans will stand against it, they're going to fail. Demons will stand against it, and they're going to fail. The church will move forward until our king returns and establishes again his rule and reign physically on earth at the end of days. And so I say to anyone, to everyone, God's moving forward. And so you, you either decide to get on board or get out of the way. Because if you're going to try to arrogantly stand in front of this moving machine that is the church, you're going to get run over. Ultimately, God wins. And so if you've been rebelling against the church, if you have stood against the church and said, you know what, I, I'm not really for this, you're either going to just get left behind or it's going to run you over. We need to decide at some point in our lives, God, I repent of my actions. I repent of ignoring you. I repent of building my own figurative church. I repent of building a life apart from you. It is your kingdom I want to live for, your church, your mission, not mine. You see, if the church was man's idea, we could, we could ignore it. We could say, you know what, that organization of people is just stupid. I don't want to be a part of it. But if the church was God's idea, we can never ignore it. Ultimately, at some point, we need to come to grips with whose kingdom we're building. What mission are we pushing forward? Is it God's or is it ours? And the church is where you continually, weekly, daily remind yourself, I'm not living for my kingdom, I'm living for God's. I'm not living for myself, I'm living for other people. I need to lift others up, not just make sure that I'm safe. God intentionally planted it. And here's the third connection point. He intentionally leads it. This is Ephesians 1.22. God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who leads, of him who is the head, that is Christ. Guys, at the end of the day, and you can, we can bow our chest at this all we want, we need leadership. And I'm telling you, if you're growing up in America, if you're growing up in, in this first world mentality, we don't like to be led. We don't like to be told what to do. We like to be the leaders of our own lives. We like to manifest our own destiny, all that other garbage. We like to be the king of our castle, the captain of our ship. Again, garbage. See, we, we don't get to come in and say, okay, like the church is pretty cool. I like this group of people. I'll lead it. No, Jesus leads it. I come into the church in humility and say, what is my role, Father? What, what's my role? What did you make me for? Am I to be a teacher? Am I to be a preacher? Am I to be an encourager? Am I to financially support mission work? What am I supposed to do? Am I the ear? Am I the mouth? Am I the left hand? Am I the right leg? What body part do I need to play? Because at the end of the day, here's what I know. I'm not the head. I know I'm not. I walk into the church and I know I'm already taking second place. First place has already been taken. It's already been discovered who is leading this place. And it's Christ. 
We are to grow as the body. We're not making the decisions here. We need organizational leadership. Now, as I discover my place in the church, I'm discovering, again, just all the time, who's leading this place. And, and Paul says in Ephesians that it's Christ that's leading. And I exist in this complex organism specifically designed to advance its causes. And we're going to learn more about leadership in the coming weeks, so I won't spend much time on this one. But I'll tell you, if you've ever worked at a place where there's no leadership, you understand truly how much we do need someone at the helm saying, I'm leading. Imagine, those of you that are going to college, if you walked into a classroom and there were four professors at the front and they all started teaching at the same time, what would you do? Now, I know that it's a silly example because you're like, I would leave. Like, there's no way that you can effectively be taught if four professors are at the front, they all start talking, they've all got their own PowerPoint. That is anarchy. No, we don't want that. We can say that we want to lead ourselves, but at the end of the day, if there's no leadership or a, a awkward plurality of leadership where no one has said, I'm in charge, we don't like this. Have you ever worked at you know, any company, any nonprofit, any organization, and you realize real quick that leadership is terrible? Have you ever been in a place where someone has the title of leader, but then you look at someone else and clearly they've got the respect of everyone else? I've been in places where there's a manager, sure, but nobody respects him. And he doesn't actually lead. And so we're all looking to the assistant manager because clearly that person has worked hard. They've got the respect of everyone. And even though they don't have the title, they're the leader. If you've ever worked somewhere with poor leadership, you understand how desperately we need someone to say, I'm in charge. We need to know where the buck stops. We need to know who the president is, who the CEO is. We need to know who the leader of the church is. And Jesus says, it's me. And leadership will flow from him. And lastly, what do we need to know about the connection of God to the church? We need to know that he disciplines it. As you scan the New Testament, you, you see multiple different instances where God actually invades the life of the church. And he says, look, what you're doing is inappropriate and I'm gonna stop you. For example, if you look at Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus gives a vision to John and he says, I need you to write a letter to seven different churches in the surrounding area. And he reveals these seven churches by name in, in the area that they're at. And he reveals what they're doing that God doesn't like. And in Revelation 2, starting in verse 5, he says, if this church does not repent, I will snuff it out. What a great threat. God looks at the church and he says, you, you think you're getting away with things, but you're not. I'm watching you. And if you continue in this behavior, I'm going to take your lampstand away. I'm, I'm snuffing you out. You're done. I'll close your doors. And, and again, you know this intuitively. Because even if you haven't grown up in church, you can look at churches in different areas. Why does any church close its doors? Well, there's a number of reasons, but often it's simply because of bad leadership. Why do some churches thrive and others don't? Often, it comes down to disobedience. It comes down to bad leadership. And God says, look, I'm not gonna let you get away with this. I'm closing your doors. We see this in other places in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, it says that the people of this church were disrespectful towards communion. 
And so Paul says, look, this is why some of you are getting sick and some of you are even dying. So God allowed sickness and death to interrupt this church because they were disrespecting the body and blood of Jesus. He goes, look, you're not gonna get away with that. I will end you physically. And some of you are like, does that really happen today? Why wouldn't it, friends? Why wouldn't it? What if certain sicknesses and certain people dying is simply because God says, I'm not gonna allow you to disrespect me. Makes you take communion a little different, doesn't it? There's another example in Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira were disrespecting God. They were lying to the Holy Spirit when they said, we have given all that we have of the sale of our property to the church. And God goes, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You don't get to walk up into my church and lie about what you are doing in giving and get away with it. And so they both die. Now, I've grown up in church my entire life. I'm 35 years old, and I have never seen a body drop during the tithing and offering section of church. I've never seen it. But that's not to say that God doesn't actively punish his people when they decide to be disrespectful with their money. I have seen people that are cruel in business, and I've seen their businesses destroyed. I have seen people that are manipulative with their money, and I've seen their marriages end. I have seen people disrespect God and their finances and I've seen him punish them. And, and again, is that to say that God doesn't end people's lives because of money? I wouldn't say that he doesn't do it just because I haven't seen it. And, and again, let me liken this to something else. If you've ever looked at a child, you've, you know, you've been in, the, in Safeway or Walmart or wherever, you've been in public and you've seen just an unbelievably disrespectful child and you kind of wonder, like, what, are the parents going to do anything? Like, as a single person, like, ladies, you're, you're walking up going, look, today I identify as a mother, and I'm going to punish your kid for you. Or, or, gentlemen, if you've ever walked up and you're like, look, I'm not a violent person, but I want to hit your kid. Like, I'm just done with this kid disrespecting everyone, because clearly this kid's never been punished ever. You see, we can look at human beings, and we can say, I can clearly see that you are a bad parent. We don't want to be judgmental, but the fact is we look at some horrible kids and we're like, look, you need to get spanked. Like you need a timeout. You need something. You need to get grounded. If we as humans can look at other humans and rightly discern that they're not leading as parents, can we not apply that to the Lord? Because I think we can. He calls himself a father. And he calls you his children. So would it not make sense that if he is the perfect father, he looks at his kids and he goes, look, I see you. I see what you're doing. And I'm going to punish you. You don't get away with everything. You don't get away with anything, ultimately. So God looks at his church and he says, you're my family. And I love you. But I am going to discipline you. And so as I look at these four things, as I discover a new, maybe for some of you for the first time, that God looks at his church and he says, I died for you, I planted you, I lead you, and I discipline you. What does that mean? Well, together, it just simply means that God's connection to us is deep, it's powerful, it's intimate, and it's not going anywhere because God's never gonna break his covenant vow. He is married to us. And so maybe for you, if you've been disregarding church for a number of months or years, or maybe you never grew up in church, and so you just didn't know any better, I'm here to gently say, you can't ignore the church. It is on you as an individual. If you are a Jesus follower, it's on you to find a local church. You have to plug in. It's not, 
here's what good Christians do. This is just what Christians do at all. We gather. We form groups of people. We operate under organizational leadership and we advance the causes of our king. To do anything else is pure rebellion. And we can't live one more second of our life apart from the body of Christ. So if you're a part of a local church, God bless you, keep going. If you're a part of an unhealthy church, you got two options. You can either do your best to help it get healthy or leave. And if you're not a part of a church at all, you need to go find one. I can unapologetically say, I love our church. I believe that we are healthy. I'll do my best to show you where we're doing healthy things and then where we've messed up in the past. That'll kind of come out through this series. We're not perfect, but I love Salem First Baptist Church. And so if you're listening online and you're in a different area, I love you. God bless you. I'll be praying you find an incredible church. If you are in the area, come to Salem First Baptist. We'd love to have you as part of our, our family. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for this new series. Thank you, God, for putting it in my heart. Thank you for what you have revealed in scripture about who you are and who the church is and what it's designed to do. Um, as I just said, God, for anyone that doesn't have a local church, I pray, God, that you would lead them to one. I pray that if, there's, if they're in a church but it's unhealthy, I pray that you would convict that church's leadership of unhealth and that it would get healthy. Or I pray that, as you've said in the past, that you would just close its doors so that no more people would be wounded. And God, I, I thank you for the health that we're experiencing. I don't pray that in any sense of arrogance. I just pray it in all gratitude. Thank you for our leadership. Um, would you continue to guide us and help us make wise decisions concerning what you would have us do? And I pray for the future of this series, God, that you would use it powerfully to convict people that aren't obeying your word. I pray that it would bless people that are obeying, and I pray that it would inspire people to love and serve your church. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.